are back with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Today we welcome Honolulu Police Chief Arthur Joe Logan. Good morning, Chief. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, and you know, I think the last time I chatted with you was when you were over at the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency, and you retired from that job. And yes. The, some of the folks that I talked to were really surprised that you would <laughs> put your name in the hat to become Honolulu's police chief. Yeah, I spent five years as the director of a Hawaii Emergency Management Agency as the adjutant general for the state of Hawaii when I was selected by the governor in 2015. And after five years, it was uh, it's a it's a very taxing job. It's a very rewarding and uh, a, a, a wonderful job to be at. There's a lot of great people in Haima, state warning port, and all they do in, in protecting the 1.4 million people in the state of Hawaii. And so I took a year off. I did retire. Uh, and uh, then I just I kind of got antsy. I'm not the kind of person to stay home and do uh, just relax on the couch. I can't do that. I'm a uh, my wife says I'm a workaholic, and I think I you know and, and honestly I believe I am. I like to spend lots of time in the office, do my job, uh, and then um, and then lead uh, an organization um, such as Honolulu Police Department. The opportunity to, to do this now leading 2,000 wonderful people that are out there doing uh, great things for our city and county. And so, you know, you're just getting settled in, you know, to the office. Um, but it is an unusual time, you know, a difficult landscape, as we mentioned at the top of the show. The most recent thing is the voice of the U.S. Supreme Court striking down Hawaii's case on permits to carry guns in public. Uh, they remanded it down to uh, a, a lower court. Um, this morning, we talked to Alan Beck. He's the attorney for George Young, a Big Island resident who was denied a permit to carry a gun for self-defense. State law allows counties to grant concealed carry permits only in exceptional cases. And Young filed a lawsuit against the state 10 years ago, complaining strict gun laws violated his Second Amendment rights. He's hoping to remove um, the exceptional case rule from the state statute that makes it difficult for people to obtain a permit to carry a firearm. We talked to Beck, and here's what he said about how Young hopes that the Supreme Court's decision will impact gun rights here in Hawaii. Mr. Young filed this case on behalf of not just himself, but all Hawaii's citizens. So he's hopeful this is going to, and it will, allow all the law-abiding citizens in Hawaii to be able to lawfully carry a firearm. In addition, he's hopeful the Supreme Court's guidance on this issue will allow the state of Hawaii to begin reevaluating their laws so that not only do they comply with the Constitution, but they um, additionally just simply make sense because many of the laws in Hawaii are um, really are not well thought out. You know, I think some people are nervous. Uh, they don't know, you know what's going to happen, and, and we are seeing more guns out there on the street. What are your thoughts? So I, I, we're waiting. Our, our attorney general's office meeting with the corporation councils from the, the various counties to have a discussion on what, what this uh, New York uh, or the Supreme Court ruling means to the state of Hawaii and how do we go forward from here. Um, it's not going to be just as simple as let's start issuing permits. I think there's some law changes that need to be required. And then there's some training with it, if this goes about and comes, which it, it seems it will. It's just a matter of, of all the lawyers getting together, having the discussion. What does it mean to the state? How do how do the state legislature uh, ensure that it, all the laws are either changed or required? And then 
how do we as uh, police officers, how do we train? Uh, because we haven't been through this before, right? Maybe those on the mainland have experience where they have permits to carry and they're authorized. Their law enforcement is more trained and have lots of experience in going to a scene where there's multiple people that are armed, right? So that's not something that Hawaii law enforcement is experienced with. So how do we train our officers to ensure that, hey, we need to be prepared for this? And so, you know, you were an officer, you know, before uh, in your previous life, uh, before you went to Haima. Um, You know, talk about your background there and, and what you saw on the street as far as, you know, firearms. So as a young police officer, I, I, I saw, I, honestly, I saw more firearms by individuals before I was a policeman uh, in some incidents on the highway where people pulled firearms on me as a young kid. And, and I was like astounded that people are carrying guns in their cars. I'm sure that's not legal. I didn't know the laws back then. Uh, but when I became a policeman, I, I, you know, other than BB guns, pellet guns, uh, there weren't a lot of people out there carrying firearms that I saw. Now, other incidents probably happened. But as a young policeman, um, you know, once you finish the police, police training. Uh, you you walk Waikiki in, in what we call fourth watch. We didn't have field training back then. Um, and then from that, you, you work in either downtown or, or, or Waikiki. You walk for a few a number of months. You learn how to be a police officer in the real world, not just in the training world. Uh, and then uh, from there, I went to the desk and then I went into narcotics. So I spent four years in narcotics vice uh, working with federal partners uh, and executing search warrants and, and eradicating marijuana from uh, cane fields and mountains uh, throughout the, the island of Oahu. And so, uh, you know, there, we would recover a lot of weapons and drugs, um, but we didn't, they weren't pulled on us. We didn't have to shoot anyone or, or pull our guns on any incidents. So it, that's been my experience. My 20 years in law enforcement, I might have drawn my gun a couple times in situations, but I've never had to use it, nor did somebody uh, pull a gun or shoot at us. Or well, you know, I, uh, I think it was about a year ago that uh, ATF, Alcohol, uh, Tobacco, and Firearms, you know, issued a um, you know, release saying that they were noticing more guns in their investigations, and they just wanted to let the community know, you know, because uh, it's not a good thing. Right. And, and so you, you, have you met with your uh, counterparts of the federal agencies? I have not. We're scheduled to meet with uh, the FBI, DEA, Secret Service. I have met them in other events, um, but I haven't met them personally one-on-one to sit down and talk. Uh, absolutely, I need to sit down with ATF uh, and discuss how we can work and partner together. Uh, because I, I'm sure there's, uh, uh, while I know there's a lot of people that own firearms, uh, but how many people are actually driving around with a firearm in their vehicle? Um, and so... That we need to figure what can we do together to partner uh, to help. Uh, you know, it is illegal to carry a gun in your car uh, right now unless we, you know, change the rules based on this Second Amendment ruling from the Supreme Court. So how, how is this all going to play into the state is something we're working towards. Yeah. And, you know, folks are concerned about that. Uh, when we talked to Mr. Beck uh, earlier today, uh, he had said, you know, uh, we were asked. We asked him if you know whether uh, his client Young's desire to carry a gun in public is reflective of his opinion of law enforcement uh, in Hawaii. No, it's not. Mr. Young lives on the Big Island, which is a very rural area. Police just simply are very far away when you need help. Mr. Young wants to uh, be able to carry for lawful self-defense, 
in order to defend himself in those situations where the police are not available to protect him. And, you know, it's interesting because I think he's a, a former police officer himself. Yes, that's what I understand. Yeah. And so what were you thinking when you heard about this case? Well, I, I, well the first thing is if he was a, a, a law enforcement officer for more than 10 years, then he has a, a right to file for a federal uh, carry permit that he could get and obtain through the state. So uh, I'm surprised he did, he might have gone that route. I'm not sure. So I don't know. If he's in a rural area, he, he can have firearms at his house, absolutely, to protect himself there. But you just can't uh, leave your property and, and go about right now. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the climate is changing across the country and from state to state. And we have had the toughest uh, gun laws uh, and, uh, you know, relatively low crime rate right. compared to most places. So uh be interesting to see. Uh, and you mentioned that there's a meeting later today. I, I believe so. So the, I know the Attorney General's office is meeting with the Corp Councils from the various counties to discuss uh, what this uh, Second Amendment uh, Supreme Court decision is and then how does that impact the state of Hawaii. Yeah, cause I, I know that I think uh, following uh, the news about this, there was, I think, a line down at the Honolulu Police Station for people interested in finding out how do we do this? How do we go get our permits? Yeah, so people are still uh, sending in their permits t- to carry, which we're, and then they'll come up to me for a final decision right now. But uh, until we, you know, and, and I look at each one to d- understand exactly why, you know, what is the what what is your reason? What is your exceptional reason to to carry a gun? Uh, and my understanding, uh, having just stepped into this job, that uh, over the the decades, very few have ever been um, uh, authorized, and so. I'm still understanding under what circumstances were those ever authorized. Right. So uh, lots to, uh, to to sort out as we uh, uh, try and figure out uh, uh, how this will play out in our state, you know, in other states. Um, you know, I, I imagine you've gone to a number of conferences, you know, where we've talked about firearms. Well, I haven't in this capacity. I have not gone no, to. No, but I mean, right. uh, uh, you know, in, in uh, maybe in your uh, previous stint as an officer? Well, I, I've gone to robbery association conferences. Um, in October will be the major city chiefs association meeting, and then I'll have an opportunity to discuss uh, with the, the chiefs uh, their experiences and what they're dealing with and how, how, their, um, how their officers are trained in this capacity. So I'll, I'll get to give, understand best practices and bring that back uh, to Honolulu Police Department uh, in October. Okay. Well, if you're just listening to the conversation, uh, our guest in the studio this morning is the new HPD chief, Joe Logan. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this short break. Support for the conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Namea Hawaii and PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, offering resources to Hawaii's educators, including the workshop Teaching for Artistic Behaviors, open to the community, honolulumuseum.org slash educators. Laura Lee from Laura Lee and the Jets grew up in a small town in Germany and, like many artists before her, moved to Berlin to make music. But she's not stopping at Berlin. When I do stuff, I kind of aim for word domination a little bit. Laura Lee and the Jets perform in a session recorded at Hansa Studios for our Sense of Place Berlin series next time on World Cafe. Beginning tonight at 8, following left, right, and center. 
Support for HPR comes from Hawaii Performing Arts Festival, presenting As One, a chamber opera about a woman discovering her gender identity, July 9th and 10th at Kahilu Theater in Waimea, hawaiiperformingartsfestival.org. If you're just joining the conversation, we're talking to Honolulu Police Chief Joe Logan, and you can talk to him by calling us at 808-941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We do have a caller on the line, Steve from Honolulu. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Yeah, thanks for joining us. What's on your mind? Um, Yes, let me just say a word. I'm, I'm a member of an organization called... Americans for Democratic Action Hawaii, and we had the privilege about uh, two or three years ago to have someone from HPD uh, come and talk to our board about the situation of people who have homelessness on on uh, on the street. And uh, they, uh, he said that basically policemen have to act as social workers half the time. It would be much better if policemen could turn those situations over to um, social workers and not have to have that extra training. So my question is, what does the chief think about that proposition, and is there any effort to take care of that? So absolutely, Steve. Thanks for the call. So in two districts, um, well, soon to be in the Waikiki district, is the uh, core operations by the uh, Department of Emergency Services. And so that is a, a, a medical uh, outfit that's able to help provide social workers uh, and uh, medical experts uh, in uh, in helping homeless people. And so you're absolutely correct. Officers do get training in the police academy uh, with uh, how to handle the situations with people in crisis. So whether that's homeless or someone is experiencing some other kind of uh, uh, illness that's causing them uh, in, to behave in, in an erratic manner. And so to help with that uh, that training uh, and the experience that they get from other officers helps them understand how to deal with that, but we're not experts. Um, and so it becomes very difficult at times for officers. Uh, and so, yes, if we could have, you know, how do we develop teams for social workers uh, to join? Uh, the problem is, is it, this happens at, it could happen at any time. It could happen at three in the morning, it could happen at nine at night, it could happen at, at you know, two o'clock in the afternoon. So how do we join forces together uh, with our city officials to help that? So that's something I know the mayor is working on, uh, not to create an additional social workers uh, to help law enforcement at all hours, but with this core program. And uh, if it's continued successfully in uh, the districts it's in now, uh, then uh, if there's, uh, you know, how do we expand that? to help every officer in all situations around the island. So thank you for that question. It's absolutely, it's difficult for officers. They're, they're trained, but they're not experts. And we have another caller, Bonnie from Honolulu. What's on your mind? Hi. Um, I take the bus, and twice I have seen um, at the bus stop Punchbowl and King, and um, another time on King Street, it looked like a lady was offloaded from a bus. She had a dog there and there were five police cars and five policemen surrounding her talking to her 
Another time, there was a homeless man. He was put in a um, police car, and there are five police cars right at the bus stop at Punchbowl and King. I mean, why the number five? So why, so many <laughs> why so many officers? <laughs> that's a great question, Bonnie. I, uh, that's something I need to take a look at. I'm not sure, but uh, I can tell you, um, being a beat officer, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago when I was a policeman, um, your, your beat partners are there to help you and, and protect you uh, and to help in the situation. So we don't know exactly. We get the call, right, and the communications division sends police officers to a call. Um, and so there are other officers that um, they may not be engaged in another call, and so they'll come by to assist and see where you need help. And um, if it's a, a female and a male, you might want to have a female officer there along with a couple other uh, male officers, or you want more females and male officers to help uh, with depending on who uh, is the caller and who needs the help, right? So the exact situation, I'm not sure why you would need that many. It does sound um, like it's there's too many officers there for the situation, but it depends on what the call was and why, right? And if they're in, if the person is in crisis, then um, you know different officers had different skill sets. So the more officers you have, the better you can handle that situation. Not that you need everyone there. And if officers realize that there's too many and uh, and and some of them can break off and 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 it's under control, then they they would leave the area. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the procedure is for calling for backup. You know, if you've got then several people, if they're free, they just go. That's right. Yeah, they're there. They're 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 partners. They take care of each other, right? Just like any other organization. You know, you have a football team. All eleven players play together. They're there for you for you know where the ball is and what's going on, what the play is. So it's a team effort for that sector and the, and those beat officers working together. Now, and then, like I said earlier, once they realize the situation's under control, then they can break off and go take other calls. Yeah, I mean, you know, we are uh, experiencing a situation where we've got a shortage of officers. Uh, and yeah, you want to make sure that, uh, you know, we've got enough um, uh, people on the line, officers on the line to respond to the things that, that really need their attention. Absolutely. Uh, we have a comment from a listener who wants to know if the chief will be signing handgun license permits and how many will he sign? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as we said earlier, we're still yeah. waiting uh, uh, for the attorney generals and the corporation council to get together and, and, and determine what this means to the state of Hawaii and then what's next for the police chiefs. I, I have reached out to the other three county police chiefs uh, and asked them, you know, how are they? And then we're all kind of in the same sheet of music. We're all we're all discussed um, and we didn't plan it, but we all said, hey, uh, we're just waiting for the corporation councils to get together and then provide us the information and then the the chiefs will 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 follow the direction of of what the corporation's councils have you met I mean, the uh, other uh, chiefs in the other counties already? I, I've met them in a previous capacity. I haven't met my Maui chief yet because I um I, re I retired when he came on board to be an executive board member of the Hawaii Haida organization. And so in my previous life, I sat on that board. So I met Todd from Kauai. I met Paul um, from the Big Island. Uh, and so I, I've yet to meet John face-to-face. -face. Yeah, I mean, I, I know the uh, the mayors get together regularly. Yeah. It's probably a good idea for the uh, the chiefs to kind of also meet. And we do. We have a plan coming up here in, in July. Uh, so in a couple of weeks, we'll all be together for uh, a meeting, uh, several meetings, as a matter of fact. 
Uh, and we have another call. Uh, Edwin from the Big Island, what's on your mind? Hi, this is uh, for Chief Logan. I have 15 years' experience as a special officer in New Orleans where I carried a, I openly carried a gun as part of my job for Honeywell where I, when I fixed alarms, I'd have to be protected, so I carried a gun. Anyway, I want to, I, I'm wondering if he knows what he feels about the difference between concealed carry and open carry and which one is more dangerous. I personally have experience with being jumped for my gun, so I think open carry is extremely dangerous where criminals can, they know you have a gun, you're an instant target, and then you can be an instant crisis because in two seconds they can try to jump you for your gun because it's usually in your holster. So how does he respond to that, please? Well, I think personally I, I they both scare me. I mean, uh, having armed citizens out there, uh, it's are you trained? Do you understand? Have you gone through some kind of certification class? Do you know when to shoot, when not to shoot, uh, how to pull your gun? So I, I agree with you. Concealed carry is is uh, better if you're going to be a victim of a crime that they the, the suspects wouldn't see the gun. Um, and so, uh, but if you open carry, then maybe that's a deterrent, right? So I think there's pros and cons either way. Uh, and I think uh, as police... Uh, Whatever the future holds, uh, we just need to be prepared and trained for that. Well, you know, one big issue I think that folks want to know about is transparency. You know, we did uh, talk to uh, Sandy Ma, uh, the executive director of Common Cause, the you know watchdog group. Uh, she shared with us, she says, to, to Common Cause Hawaii, transparency and accountability at HPD has in recent years been at an all-time low. Uh, we just have to look at the scandals that have enveloped HPD, the conviction of a former chief, uh, Kealoha, HPD Sergeant Darren Cachola, caught on camera abusing his girlfriend, overtime abuse, the high-profile shootings of Lindani Manny and uh, teenager, I remember, Skycap, a reckless high-profile pursuit uh, through a congested residential area with pedestrians, resu re resulting in the deaths of innocent bystanders. That was in Kakako. Um, the forcing of a homeless man to lick a public urinal, and the list goes on. This all culminated in the perceived special treatment given to the current Chief Logan by not releasing the name of his son when arrested, and the very real public concern that Chief Logan's son will enjoy more protections and special treatment in the future if he has additional encounters with HPD. This is not transparency. This is not accountability. Um, over the past several years, HPD has demonstrated a lack of integrity, respect, and fairness while interacting with the public. Uh, I don't know. How do you respond to, to the concerns that Common Cause has with this? Well, many of the things that Common Cause uh, brings up are, are, you know, absolutely top of mind for me when I'm taking over this helm. But they happened before my term, right? So uh, my job, and I, and I think the reason why I was selected is because my leadership that I've proven in my five years working for the state um, and the way I lead organizations is exactly why I, I think I was selected to be the chief in the department right now. I am I am very open. I'm very transparent. I will I will you know my goal is to I'm sitting here with the media today talking with you on your show, uh, and I've been in front of the cameras on on TV and I've already done one news conference and I plan to do more of those. And so I. As the face of Honolulu Police Department, my job is to be out there to tell you what's going on, tell you what our department is doing. And so I will continue that. 
Um, if it hasn't happened before, uh, it's going to happen now. And so that's my role. As far as my son is concerned, I, you know, I, I didn't know what my son was up to. Uh, and I've expressed that uh, through the media before. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he and I haven't really had a relationship in the last 20 years. And so what he was doing, uh, and he didn't receive any special treatment, uh, because if he, w- if he was going to receive special treatment, he wouldn't even have been arrested, right? But he was, and he was in the system, and, and then they arrested him again for other offenses, I understand now. And so uh, he's not getting any fair treatment. He's, I mean, he's being treated just as anyone else. And I had a conversation with several of the leadership and of the uh, officers that work in the Waikiki area and, and town, and I said, hey, if you run across any person with this name, you treat him as you would anybody else, no special treatments. I think the concern uh, that raised uh, red flags for people is that uh, I think his arrest, uh, there was uh, some note, you know, do not post for media. And, and, and that, that's a concern. Correct. And what I've been told is that was, um, it's on occasion, the uh, criminal investigation will do that when cases are still under investigation. Um, now, exactly why, we haven't determined that, right? So did somebody do it because they were my son, or did it, they do it for another reason because the officers are still investigating? So that I, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I think I can get to the bottom of that one pretty quickly, right? Um, but as soon as the leadership came in that morning, the major, he removed that, and it was, um, it was put out um, as a normal uh, in bulletin was. But even prior to that, it wasn't hidden because the name was in the log. And so uh, e- even though this bulletin may have had that on there, uh, the term on there, um, but everything else was in the log. So um, as you know, an individual that comes in to look at the logs, such as a reporter or anybody from the media, they could have seen all that. They would have recognized the name and said, hey, wait, the new chief is Logan. This is Logan. Is there a relationship? So somebody could have figured that out. Yeah, well, um, uh, while we're talking about media uh, and transparency, I, I have to bring up the issue of the uh, scanners uh, because, you know, we uh, the media doesn't have access to a lot of those scanners, you know, in the in breaking news newsrooms. Uh, we hear something, you hear a name, you hear something, and you might want to respond just to check it out. But, uh, you know, right now uh, we don't have that ability. W- what are your thoughts on whether or not um, media, uh, new, you know, news stations ought to have access to that. So I, I'm I'm getting a briefing from the communications people. I've actually talked to uh, the director of, or the head of the communications office as far as uh, what's the, so the new radio system is now encrypted. That's a federal uh, guideline from the Federal Communications Commission. And so we have to follow federal and state rules also, right? So Part of that is the information that's provided on the police radio calls. Some of that is, is because it's encrypted be, be for a reason because the federal government and state government say that that's information that can't be released to just anybody. Not saying that the media is not just anybody. They are. And so I, I think we're trying to figure out a way how do we how do we do this without violating you know, federal and state laws or rules. So that's what we're working on now. My understanding is we're providing uh, the communications division is providing information to our, the media outlets to get the information there, uh, and and that's working. But that's probably not what you're used to. And so, like anything, change is difficult, and we have to figure out how we're going to do this best practice in in getting the right information 
where it needs to be so that the media can do their job. Well, one thing I, I do appreciate about the written log is that you do see in a month how many robberies yep. you have to respond to, you know, and, and it is things like, oh, water main break, uh, you know, you're out there assisting uh, in situations like that, um, you know, if it's a, a highway or, um, uh, you know, heavily traveled area. Uh, so it is just interesting just to see just the types of cases uh, and the calls that come through for our officers. Uh, we do have another call, uh, Robert from the Big Island. Good morning. Oh, hi. Yes, thank you for taking my call. I was just curious what you thought of the idea of using, you know, non-lethal methods of self-defense like a taser, um, you know, is increasingly more dangerous and random acts of violence are happening in the community. Um, I wondered if technology like this might be a potential solution. Thank you. I think you mean do police officers use uh, less lethal weapons other than firearms for their own self-defense, or are we looking at the public's self-defense? Because tasers are now available to to the public. Um, you go through a training class, uh, and then you can buy your taser, uh, and you can use that for self-defense. Is that better than a firearm? Uh, it could be. In certain situations, absolutely. I mean, it's there. It's a deterrent. You, you pull it out and point it at somebody, they're going to think twice about what they're doing. Um, so I, I think there are ways, and, and our officers carry a, a, an array of less than lethal weapons. They have uh, OC spray, uh, they have their batons, and then they have their tasers that they carry. So we do use them as officers. What about the, is it rubber bullets? Uh, we, there, are, there are less than lethal weapons that our um, uh, crew units would have, our crime reduction units. And then our specialized service division tactical units would have, you know, such as bean bags or other weapons that are uh, able to shoot and, and, and distract people until, so we can gain control of the situation. And, you know, uh, you do have on your priority list um, the need to recruit more officers. Um, I don't know. Are, are you concerned that, uh, you know, the weakening of, of some of these uh, uh, gun laws will deter people from applying? No, I hope not. I, and I don't, I don't think so. I mean, um, you know, the police uh, position uh, to, to come into the law enforcement, it's, it's a noble profession. It's been around for 200 years. It's something that uh, it has changed in 200 years uh, and usually getting better and better uh, capability uh, technology-wise. And so it's, it's fascinating to be a police officer today uh, because while you, you know, you have uh, – equipment and training to uh, handle situations, but now we're bringing technology into this, right? So everybody has uh, a phone that has access to special a applications and things that you can use uh, while you're working. And so, and then you have a computer in your car so that you can, you can do a lot of things on that computer that normally we would have to call in to the community communication division such as dispatch and get information from that standpoint so now it's all at your fingertips as being a police officer so you you really you know education wise uh you you're looking at 
uh, technology and capability that somebody, you know, you, you, you want to have a master's degree and how do you handle and, and operate all these things and, and then think through all of these situations. But that's what I enjoy about being a police officer is, you know, the skill set that you come with being able to multitask, but being, but being able to focus on what you need to do and, and having all this training and experience. And then it's a rewarding job because while you might you know, run into criminal activity. But a lot of your job is rewarding because you're helping people. And I think that's what the sell for HPD uh, is, is because it's rewarding and helping. You know, I talked to parents of a, a, of a young recruit, a young officer, and they were concerned. They're worried about their son's safety um, and, you know, aren't convinced that he, um, you know, had enough training with firearms. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? So I, I understand that our, our training academy and that it was something that I went through you know, 40 years ago, uh, they do a great job at training officers on how to handle the gun, what, how the gun operates, and then <clears throat> using the weapon system um, for what it needs to be used for, for uh, lethal force if you have to, right? You don't just pull a gun for any reason, right? There's, a, there's, there's how, to, how the gun operates, what its purpose is for, uh, and then the use of force, and they go through the different levels of use of force based on how the suspect may behave is how the officer behaves and what capabilities they have. And so you match those capabilities with the suspect's actions, right? And so there's more than enough. I, I believe there's a lots of training that you get. You get to shoot the rep weapon. Uh, I'm not sure how many rounds you get to shoot in the, the, the week or two that you're training with this firearm. Uh, and then uh, the fire range is open for law enforcement to come and train further. So you can always come in and train on your own. And uh, is there a lot of cross-training that goes on between the various departments, you know, the federal, uh, on the federal level and, and um, HPD? Uh, that I'm not sure of. I have to check on that. I, I know from my previous job I have seen um, the competitions between federal, state, and, and uh, the county law enforcement agencies to see who's, who can shoot based on timing and other things. So uh, COVID has probably put a hamper on all of that for the last two years. But I think now that we're getting away from the COVID, it's, it's I, I guess, reducing its impact to the state. And so we can get more uh, back to, I won't say normal, but it, uh, a, a new gener uh, a new situation and what's going to happen in the future. And, and what do you plan to do to uh, recruit more officers? So what we're doing right now is uh, increasing our recruiting force. Uh, we're using social media uh, to advertise to uh, the those that are interested in being police officers. Uh, we do continuous recruiting. So before they used to recruit by cohort, and you wait till you get so many people, and then you put them in the pipeline. But now we're doing this continuous recruiting because uh, you know it takes four to six months to do background checks and and uh, interviews and psychological exams and to get everyone through that system right so by the time we can get a group through then that's another class what we've also done is reduce the class size in the police academies so that um, we don't have a high attrition rate we have a smaller class size more personal one-on-ones with the amount of trainers that are helping with the class and so that officers or you know the 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 recruits that are in the classrooms, you know, if they have questions, concerns, or issues, they can raise it with their class assistant and then work through that to graduate. If you're just joining us, we are talking with HPD Chief Joe Logan. Uh, we are going to have to take a pause for the monthly civil defense siren test. Stay with us. We will be right back in a moment. 
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Matson, investing in new ships, cranes, and terminal improvements to serve the needs of Hawaii communities for generations to come. Matson.com. It's been a minute is another way of saying, let's catch up. And every week, that's what we do. We talk with journalists about the week in news and politics and pop culture. Everything, really. All the news that's happening right now can be <laughs> exhausting. But we can make sense of it together through conversation. That's It's Been a Minute from NPR. Beginning Saturday at noon, following Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Support for HPR comes from Magnolia Boutique and Gallery in Kahala Mall, open daily, offering original art and gifts by Hawaii artists, including paintings, jewelry, clothing, and more. Also online at magnolia-hawaii.com. Our guest in our studio this morning is uh, Honolulu Police Chief Joe Logan, and we're going to put out a last call for uh, listeners who want to uh, give us a jingle here and uh, and talk to the police, uh, the police chief, and and ask him questions. Uh, you know, w- we did get a, um, uh, a a concern that was expressed by uh, the uh, Common Cause Watchdog Group about um, w- what we're doing to help improve relations in the Micronesian community. Can you address that? Yeah, so my understanding talking with Chief, uh, Deputy Chief Vanek is that uh, either our, our community policing teams and other uh, uh, leadership personnel within the Honolulu Police Department have, have reached out and met with the Micronesian community, but we want to continue that, and I want to come out and meet with them. And so uh, I, my staff is putting together uh, uh, meet the community kind of thing. I'm, I, w- I want to get out and meet every officer that's every at every district, uh, at every watch. And so it's, it's going to take a couple months to do this, to get it all scheduled in uh, amongst all the other things that, that the chief has to do. But that's a priority for me is to get out with the community and meet the underrepresented communities uh, like Micronesians, the Hawaiian community that's out. And, and so how do I do that? Where, where am I going to go? When are we going to do this? Is, is more to follow on that uh, as the staff works those. But uh, I, I would much enjoy that uh, a regular relationship with our underrepresented communities to understand their concerns and ensure that we as the Honolulu Police Department are, are doing our job that's necessary to ensure um, that you're safe and secure uh, along with everyone else in the city in the city and county of Honolulu. You know, we were talking before the show, and I think you had mentioned that there was a um, a police officer, I think, from, was it Micronesia that came here for training? I mean, I don't know. Is there, is there any way that we could somehow, I don't know, tap in uh, to folks over there? Yeah, there was, when I was, uh, you know, in, in my previous time, when I was in HPD, there was a captain, I think, that came from Chuk uh, that was learning about law enforcement and some of the things that we were doing in Honolulu. So he could take that back to uh, the island of Chuk and, and implement those kinds of things. Um, and so I thought that was an interesting way to share leadership back and forth. And I believe we were even sending police uh, leadership to Micronesians, uh, to the nations there and in the islands and, and learning and, and training with them. Yeah, but uh, maybe just to have them, uh, you know, while they're here to meet with some of the community. I don't know. Just a thought. No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, we did uh, have a, uh, a listener call in and leave uh, his comments on the uh, uh, and questions on the talkback line. Um, here's a listen. Good morning. Listen. My name is Jay. I'm a resident of Honolulu. Uh, 
And I have questions for new police chief Logan, which include why the Honolulu Police Department continues to allow gambling houses that are known to exist to continue to operate. I just never understood that because there are several that are just really obvious, one of which is close to Walmart, and everybody knows that it's there, but the police continue to allow it to operate. I'd appreciate it if he would politely address this question. Thank you. So, Jay, thank you very much for that question. So we understand in our our, our narcotics vice detail that handles gambling uh, is out there investigating um, uh, all the gambling houses that we one we know of, and number two, uh, we just can't close things down. We have to we have to make sure we have to do an investigation to make sure it's um, there's actually gambling going on, and so we have to be able to prove those kinds of things. You just don't walk in and say you're gambling and take everything out. But the other part is the is the business owner of the of the homeowner of the structure. Uh, on, and what do they know? And are they allowing, uh, if it is criminal activity, are they allowing that in their building? And, and what can we as the city and county and the police department do uh, to business owners who are continuously renting out the plots of their, their structures to these gambling places? So it's a multifaceted, complex operation that's going on. And we're trying to attack it from many different directions. And we know that crime happens around gambling houses or, or gambling facilities. And so we're trying to figure all of that out and w- investigate through that. And our, our, our Narcotics Vice Division is, is actively pursuing all leads uh, to investigate gambling places. You know, uh, we did also talk with Honolulu uh, Council Member Hari Suniyoshi. She's the chair of the council's Public Safety Committee. Um, we, uh, uh, you know, chatted with her about what she thinks are the, your priorities, what they think, you know, it, it should be. Uh, here's what she had to say. For specifically the violent crimes and the repeat offenders that we have seen happening in different communities, I've met with many community groups, businesses, and individuals who, residents who say they know the, the individuals who are committing these crimes, and it, it happens over and over again. So one of the main things that I hope am hopeful to see from Chief Logan is to work with our judicial branch and work with the court systems to be able to make changes in how things are happening once arrests are made and once the individuals are brought into custody and how things are moved forward, final decision on what happens. Unfortunately, right now, it's pretty much seen as a revolving door of in and out, which is bad for the morale of the HPD and bad for community and businesses who see the same people going in and coming right back out. So. Chief Logan would would also have to, in my opinion, work very closely with the judiciary to make sure that we correct how cases are processed to be able to make improvements on the violent crimes that we're seeing. Absolutely. And and Council Member uh, Suniyoshi, I greatly appreciate your comments and thank you for attending yesterday's ceremony. It was uh, very nice to see the city council there. Um, Yeah, repeat offenders and violent crime, that's something that... uh, uh, Honolulu Police Department, we're taking a look at, we're, we're going to, as I meet with our federal partners and our state partners together, uh, try to develop a, a course of action and how we, we can um, reduce violent crime. Unfortunately, um, unlike movies where, you know, Minority Report and other things that they can perceive crime going to happen in, in law enforcement, that doesn't really happen. That's uh, that's science fiction. And so, uh, but your comment about repeat offenders is uh, 
it, it hits a, a mark with me. You know, law enforcement is just one leg of a, a four-legged stool. As you said, the judiciary, the court system has a requirement. Um, the uh, corrections rehabilitation system has a requirement. Uh, and then the prosecution or the legal aspect, along with law enforcement. Actually, there's a fifth stool, the community. So the community knows, right? There's not people, not everyone in the community may know everyone that lives within a neighborhood or something. But uh, by and large, the community knows who who's the good people and maybe who people that are not so good. And so um, we need all of us to come together uh, to help each other and identify, you know, solutions to the repeat offender problem. Why are they out? Why do they continue if you have 47 arrests? Now, maybe not all those arrests are convictions. So that's part of the uh, judiciary's responsibility on on how are we continuing this, um, keeping the community safe, right, from repeat offenders. And so uh, we all got to work together. There's got to be a solution in here. Uh, it, but it's just not the Honolulu Police Department. I'm just one leg of this five-legged stool. Well, you know, uh, I have a whole list of things I wanted to tackle, and we've only got a couple of minutes left. I wanted to ask you about uh, about uh, fireworks. You know, it's Fourth of July weekend. But um, any final thoughts you have you want to leave with our listeners? Yeah, I just thanks for the opportunity to be here. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to your listeners. Um, I know Honolulu Police Department uh, is an extraordinary department. That's um, it's healing, uh, and we're gonna. We're going to move forward. Uh, yes, there's been some things in the past, but that's in the past. So, you know, we, we learn from our, our past, but we move forward and, and we, we, um, we continue to move forward and, and do all the great things that, to keep the city and county residents and visitors safe. And so we'll continue to do that. Um, if anybody wants to reach out, HonoluluPD.org uh, is a way to get a hold of, of the police department. Let us know what's on your mind, and then we'll direct any emails or comments coming in uh, through that site on social media to where it needs to be. And if it's addressed to the chief, then uh, I will see it, and we can address the situation. But, um, you know, every day men and women of the Honolulu Police Department are out there working, putting themselves in harm's way. Uh, And so uh, they continue to do that work, and they can continue to do it besides what's happened in the past, right? So we're going to continue moving forward. It's an extraordinary police department. Uh, and uh, our goal is to keep you safe and secure, and we're going to continue that. And I ask um, anybody out there that's interested in joining the Honolulu Police Department, please do. Uh, you can jo- just go to joinhonolulupd.org, and you can sign up. Or, or if you're interested, at least ask questions about it. Okay, get to know more about, right. uh, but, about And the fireworks job. is a big issue here in Hawaii. Um, Fourth of July is really not as bad as, as New Year's Eve. Uh, and New Year's, this coming New Year's, uh, we're going to be a lot more uh, on the highways enforcing traffic to make sure people aren't blocking the highways. Uh, we don't see that so much on on Fourth of July, but we'll be out doing impaired driving checks and and. All right. Well, we we certainly thank you. I don't mean to, to cut you off, but uh, we're just about out of time. Uh, but thank you so much, uh, everyone, for uh, for calling in. Uh, a reminder, uh, you know, you can uh, listen to our shows here on Hawaii. Uh, on the HPR website, on the conversation page. Uh, and uh, we will be back um, on Tuesday. And have a good, safe 4th of July, everybody. <laughs>